Hello and welcome to the DH Effect. I'm Hillary and I'm joined by my lovely co-host Sonia. We have a very special guest today we'll be telling you about in just a moment. And really he is here to help us talk about humanity. You know, at the DH Effect, we truly believe in creating meaningful and authentic connections in, in every walk of life. And specifically, we love to collaborate with companies that really they, they understand the importance of maintaining, creating, or repairing trust within their teams. And the more that we listen to these individuals within these companies, the more that we're really hearing that everyone is, is struggling with feeling seen and heard and really truly valued, specifically coming off the pandemic, many employees are just reassessing and saying, look, I wanna bring my whole self to work. And that's gonna require a lot of adaptations into being more heart-centered leadership, don't you think, Sonia? Oh my gosh, for sure. And you are gonna hear from Matthew in just a bit, but really sink into his story and experience. Um, So our guest today, Matthew Brackett, born the 10th of 13 children, left home at 18. I just want you to think about that age for a second. A guy, 18, I'm leaving on an adventure of service and formal religious ministry that led him to Italy, Ireland, England, Colombia, Chile, and Mexico, where he is now. For several years, Matthew served on active duty as a chaplain in the U.S. Navy, where he worked principally with Marines. And I want you just to have, I want to just pause there and settle with that experience alone as well. Then here's the cool thing. He, I mean, everything was cool, but he had the opportunity to to complete two master's degrees in spiritual theology and and human development, as well as postgraduate studies in counseling, family, and education. And to top it off, he earned a master's in psychology of leadership. So everyone, he's going to be dropping some knowledge today for us. (laughs) Just a little bit. Just a little bit. bit. And launching his company, Bracket Alliance, he continues to serve as a coach, advisor, and educator around the beautiful complexities of the human element in relationship, leadership, followership, and diversity. I'm so filled by that. Welcome, Matthew. Thank you, Sonia. Thank you, Hillary. Wonderful to be here. We just love having you because you have this authentic way that you show up. And I know you're just returning from the International School of Leadership um, in in uh, Anawak. Is that Anawak. what I said? Yes, Anawak. Anawak in Cancun. <laughs> I almost, I was trying, I was trying so hard in Mexico. Um, and you are presenting on understanding, from understanding dysfunctional leadership to living functional and healthy leadership like what in the world is that even about this dysfunctional versus and by the way there's people out there going there's such a thing as healthy leadership where's that we need some more of that <laughs> thank you Hillary. so actually i was able to go to colombia for other reasons but I, while in colombia i was invited to give a conference at a university down there and then in mexico as well at the international school of leadership at the Anahuac university in cancun which is always a great place to be able to visit for educational purposes and for other purposes. But it, so I had those two, and I, I brought this topic because it was something that we studied in our in our master's program on the psychology of leadership. And it, it resonated a lot with me. And I think I chose it because it resonates a lot with people. And it goes, I build it that way, understanding dysfunctional, because it's something that a lot of people can relate to through their human experience. So by relating to it through their human experience and how leadership doesn't work, 
then that leads us to an, a better understanding and it sort of opens the space where then I can say, well, what does functional health and leadership look like? And what are a few steps that we can take to get there? Now, in an hour, you really can't do that whole topic justice. Um, it's really, you can, you kind of need six or a whole day, a whole day to kind of go through all the different elements of that. But definitely we can, we can definitely hit on the wave tops and make it a meaningful experience, which I think we did. So that's um and what I and when I giving that what I saw was when you start seeing people's heads nod and sort of light bulb go off you know they say all right this this is making sense because it some of it's kind of dense right there's some dense concepts but but people related with it and so I found that to be very um very satisfying and then I ended by defining leadership right and then as I said giving a few tips to grow in the direction of healthy and functional leadership which is a journey right it doesn't happen in a day as we well know. Well, I, I just, you know, I, I'm thinking about the leaders, like they became leaders for, for good reason. And they're in this spot and, and people are looking up to them and somehow it became dysfunctional. And, you know, you know, that time to reflect of how did it get here or what was the expectation? I think that's just, that's really resonating in our world today. And I, the, the purposefulness of us really saying, how do we bring the humanity into the workplace. Mm -hmm. And I just wonder, I'm so curious about that, that conversation and that, I don't know if I call it a bridge or the connection when you, when you say healthy leadership and why humanity is just so important. Well, I think it's important because first of all, in the person in a leadership position, I kind of like to differentiate between a leader and someone in a position of authority Mm -hmm. because um, they're different, but hopefully they, hopefully they often coincide and if not often, all the time that they coincide where a person with leadership abilities is in a place of authority so that it's used properly. Mm-hmm. And so it's the person in the leadership position being able to lead themselves. And so I always begin, especially with personal or individual leadership. And when we, and that needs, as we well know, that, that requires a lot of self-awareness, self-conscious and the willingness to look at myself, not only in the mirror, but to look at myself through the eyes of those I lead. And, and that would be, the, I just see that as, as a fundamental point. Um, and so that's one of, the, one of the points that I make. I do want to highlight something else that came up in also my conversations or in these conferences that really resonated with people was the aspect, and it's really not a topic for today, but it was the aspect of of awards, of the way we reward performance, right? And what I came across was that is um, the importance of awards, importance of, you know, because it's it's sort of like a love language in the workplace, and but oftentimes they're they're, they're not aligned. Are people they like you were saying at the beginning? Are people want to be seen? They want to be valued, and organizations can show that in a way that doesn't speak to that wanting to be seen and wanting to be valued. And I use the love language as an example because it's, it's sort of, you know, in, in relationships, we want to learn that language of love that the other one understands. So in the workplace, we want to learn that language of being seen and valued and where in a way that they see be they are seen and valued because it has to do with motivation, has, has to do with what you said, with helping people sense that they are seen and that they are valued. And what's so amazing is that that that's what people want in the family, in organizations, in the faith world. That's what people want in the workplace. They, they want to be seen and valued, and they find a lot of motivation in that. And there's something that I read that resonated was 
an article that the title is very interesting. We expect A, but we reward B. Yeah. I, and and a way I came up with it as well from certain experiences that I've seen is um, we promote A, we expect B, and then we punish A. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll... <laughs> and I'll I mean, I'll, 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 I'll explain that a little bit more, but I sort of, I went on a tangent there just about rewards because it, again, it has to do with the human element. It has to do with um, showing with a leader, being able to not only connect with themselves, but to be able to connect with their people okay. and to speak the language that resonates with them. Oh. So oftentimes we can have that dissonance, right? Between profess values that as an organization, we profess, these are our values on our website. And then, but again, but we're professing a, but we're living B right? And then we reward, we reward something else. You know, so for example, we promote well-being, but we expect perfect performance. And we will bully you or look down on you or consider you less if you struggle or if you're not well. It's interesting as I'm listening to you too, I'm, I'm thinking, I guess, both of, of um, a recommendation in addition to you know, the science behind this, it's funny, yes, the love language is super important. But what's, you know, when we go back to the science of habit, and the idea of, you know, when you're doing something and practice something, when it's rewarded, it gets repeated. And if mm -hmm. we're not rewarding what the the actual behavior in a way that we want to see repeated, then we're actually um, hurting our, 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 our work, our proficiency, our productivity, our speed of trust, if you will, of getting things done. And so there is actual science behind it. And then knowing and understanding what reward is meaningful to continue positive behavior. You know, one of the things we've really been trying to look at, Matthew, is this idea of, of onboarding. You bring somebody on and you train them in you know, the email and the this and the that and the whatever, but you don't ever take the time to, leaders rarely take the time to stop and think about how do my people learn and what motivates them uh, and what is their love language? Do you find that a lot of the leaders that you're working with, that's not even a thought for them. It, it depends. I think it really depends. It goes from leader to leader. But so, I think sometimes there's this, all this mentality in the workplace and a lot of organizations is that people come here to do a job. They get paid to do their job. Why do they need more rewards or anything else to motivate them? Right. Which is some could say that's old school. For some reason, I don't know. There's the shift that I've seen in the culture and that, and I don't know if it has to do with just the breakdown of society or structures or whatever it is, but people, not everyone, but when they go to work, they kind of, they want to find belonging. They want to find a sense of identity. They want to be seen and valued. Maybe in the old days, people weren't worried about that or they weren't fixated on that. They looked for that somewhere else, but it seems that that shift has taken place. And so it means that it means a lot more, a little bit, a lot more curiosity and interest on the part of leadership in their teams. Um, does it re might require a little bit more effort, but the payoff is huge is well-being of our people, well-being in the workplace, uh, motivation, production, performance. Um, but I think if, but with people in leadership position, because they're worried about results, we have to be able to present that all sometimes as, and, and using their language of finance, right? And of results um, of how that pays off for them. Mm -hmm. And that sometimes can be a struggle, but I think there's a lot of good things in, with a lot of organizations working towards that, you know, and, and I wanted to go back to um, even just my time with, with the military, with the Marines, where we think of the Marines as, you know, as, as we think of the Marines as strong and, and, and just these, these war fighting machines. And yes, but again, and I've seen this in the military, this huge shift towards, towards their humanity. Mm -hmm. 
And so something that made me think about this, you know, on this topic that we're dealing with today is um, in the, at, at our Marine Corps base, you know, they had a day with bring your child to work day, bring your spouse to work. Day. And those were always fun days. Right? <laughs> it, it changed up a little bit. It was a fun time at, at the Marine Corps base. Um, but that made me think of working with them, bringing our humanity to work day. Okay. And that we, that we, this kind of hit me after, but that we made that, that we'd make that an experience of every day. Right. And let me, if you don't mind, I'll focus on this experience for a little bit yeah. because why well, I like to speak about this because then people in your minds, your listeners will be able to apply it to family. They'll be able to apply it to their corporate or organizational or work world. They'll be able to apply it to their faith world because it has applications and all. So I'm just using the Marine Corps as an example with the great love that I have for the Marines. But in the, in the Corps, for example, they say, we profess, this is what we do. We make Marines, we win wars, and we return quality citizens. And so in my, you know, when I would be speaking to officers or speaking to, to groups of enlisted, I was, hey, first and foremost, we make Marines, but who is a Marine? Right? And the young Marines, I said, we're a killing machine. I said, wait, wait, but even before, <laughs> before that, what are you and who are you? Right? And then we get to the point where, oh, we're human beings. So the first, how are we going to take care of the humanity of the Marine? Because when we take care of our humanity, it's the best way that we're going to serve our country. It's the best way we're going to serve our loved ones. the best way in the long run that you're going to serve yourself. And then what do we mean by returning quality citizens? Obviously, we want to return better quality human beings. Right? And so obviously, all this in the context of we know that Marines or soldiers or sailors, they have to be trained in very specific stressful environments to be able to perform in stressful environments, right? Where it's about life and death. But we also, then there's this whole shift now, but we also want to take care of not only their military proficiency, but we want them to be proficient as spouses, as children. We want them to be proficient in their job as fellow Marines. We want them to have functional behaviors and healthy behaviors. Right. And again, I'm saying this because this can be applied, you know, everyone in their own minds is applying this to their own space and how this how this shows up. And so that was that was my job and my mission was to offer this emphasis and this perspective. And I love it because I'm passionate about the human being. Right? And so they I knew that they would get their military training from all the other people that offer them military training. But I was there to help them care for their humanity, to develop it. And that by doing that, I knew, I promised them, that you promise you that you will be better Marines right? and that you will also win battles and that you will return to society as a better quality citizen. Right? And then we're gonna, you're going to be a better spouse. You're going to be a better parent. Right? All these things that, that were results from us being able to, to deal with our humanity and develop it in such a beautiful and healthy way. So I bring this up to then bring up one other point, which is, in a lot of organizational cultures or in faith cultures or in military, whatever it is, there's the silent, unspoken, and mostly unconscious and probably unwanted elements in the mentality and culture that can punish or look down upon emotional health, mental health, spiritual health, which ends up sending a really hefty bill at some point in life or at some point in the organization or at some point in the in lives of people. And I wanted to share a, an image right now. And I'll explain this to listeners that aren't able to, to view the visual. But it's a it's a picture that I came across. I wish I could credit it to to its proper author. I don't know where I where I found it. 
but it's a small drawing. It almost it looks like a very ancient drawing, almost like it's it's a woman, and it could be a man. Again, it's just I I see this as a human being that has chains around the shoulders and arms, and so the arms are tied with chains, and there's a lock around the chains, and the lock is red, and then there's a key that's tied around the neck of the person. And I would use this with Marines on a regular basis to, to emphasize it through a visual of how culture and mentality, even though it's unwanted, how it, in, in the case of the Marines, how they felt like they couldn't raise their hand to deal with certain things about their humanity. And it wasn't anything spoken. It was oftentimes the unspoken things, the invisible things in the culture and mentality that didn't allow them to do it. And then I love with the key around the neck of the person, you know, who can access that key? The person can't, right? but your, your companions, your peers, your brothers and sisters, they can. They can give you permission to raise your hand and say, I have to deal with this issue. I have this other stuff going on. I'm going through some troubles. Right? And so I use it. I just think this is such a powerful image of dealing with our humanity and how culture and mentality in an organization, and I'll talk about a faith organization as well, how, how it can tire, unwantedly, but tire our arms. And so we feel ashamed or we feel guilty if we raise our hand, right? Or we get bullied or we get told that it's not the right thing to do. Whereas on the other side, I talk about the con contradiction. There's this organizational values that are telling us that it is the right thing to do. But in reality, in the day-to-day, -day, it all of a sudden becomes the unacceptable thing to do. Uh, thank you so much for sharing that visual. And, you know, I, I think that the we Hillary and I, we've recently, um, you know, kind of learned about positive intelligence. And I'm thinking about the society where how did we get there where we have to be constantly externally motivated all the time. And I think about one of our saboteurs, um, he calls it as a hyperachiever. But for some reason, we need the evidence to see that we're okay, that we're worthy. And so we chase awards and milestones externally, hyperachieving, you know, because of this other saboteur, which is the judger, where you know, we're saying, well, what's wrong with, I love the judger voice in our heads. What's wrong with me? What's wrong with you? What's wrong with the environment that I'm in constantly? And to me, in terms of what you just shown here and leadership too, there is a certain, like, that is the responsibility, right? Like to remind, to remind our people that seen and valued and, and worthy for who they are, because what we're seeing in the workplace is they're, they'll burn out. If they don't feel that sense of worth or belonging, that inspirational trigger, is it serotonin, oxytonin, which one? That fuels us to be like, I'll go beyond. I am so excited to be here. I will do the work so well because I am proud to be here. But in our marketplace right now, burnout, isolation, right? Uh, resignation. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, and so I think about sports where um, in professional sports, they, um, I took a training where the coach's job at the end of the game is to ensure that they remind the players, you're going to return home now, and you're no longer the competitive football player or the competitive basketball player. You are now reminding of the father, the mm -hmm. husband. And, and, and even an actor, I think in theater, when you play another character mm -hmm. and you get rewarded, right? Oh my gosh, you're such great Alexander Hamilton then it's someone that's going to say, now you are no longer Alexander Hamilton. You're no longer that character. And I just feel like that leadership position is so critical 
in that humanity piece. Um, mm. So I, I just was just really resonating with that image and probably went off tangent, but <laughs> that's where we're at. <laughs> now you brought up things that I, I will mention. Well, I think I will develop a little bit more about the mask, you know, the, the mask that we have to wear. Um, and also the, um, and I did want to touch on positive intelligence, right? And that work and how that applies. You know, again, going back to the Marine Corps, where they have the, we profess these values, right? And this is for you know, any organization or any family where everyone should have their sort of like their profession around what our values are, right? What are we looking for? Is um, and I would use honor, courage, and commitment. You know, to honor your humanity, have the courage to face it, and be committed to development and growth. That's the way I would spin the spin the, the values for the for the Marines because the best way to serve your country, the core, your loved ones, the future. Right, and so I'm using this example again because it can be applied to family, it can be applied to organizations, um, because it can happen anywhere. You know, in our family cultures, there's oftentimes unconscious or just or silent things that that can shame or that can guilt or that can, people feel like that we have to fit into a certain type of way of being in order to be accepted and loved in the family, in an organization, in a corporate world, in religious cultures. And I, I won't stay too long in religious cultures, but this is, it's a huge thing because, you know, in some religious organizations, when the, we lead with the truth that, well, we are all sinners, but oh boy, how do, how they punish the fact that you are a sinner, right? <laughs> and so, so I was like, we lead with that, but then we expect you to be sinners, but boy, we're going to punish it. Right? And so then what do we do with our, our fragility? What do we do with the, the fact that we are sinners or whatever you want to use, that we're challenged, that we have inadequacies, that there's things that we want to improve on? If, what do we do with it then? You know, so how do we deal with our failure and fragility? You know, so in a Marine Corps mindset, you know, failure is not an option. Right? And oftentimes that's not an option in, in a lot of our mindsets. We don't, no one likes to fail. I love, you know, in, some of my reading and dealing just with the John Maxwell Leadership Group is um, John Maxwell has a, has a book called Failing Forward. Okay. And in another one called Sometimes We Win, Sometimes We Learn. And he loves to really make the point that success is directly linked to failure. For some reason, we separate failure and success in our human experience, right? Yeah. In, in our idealism and what we expect. But they depend on each other. Okay. We can we can go from failure to success, but we can't go from making excuses to success. Mm. You know, so so those are a few points that I wanted to highlight highlight with that. And so with going back to the Marine Corps, is creating a culture, and it was beautiful to see because there's there's this huge shift in all of the military branches around this. Right now, that's probably a topic for another day. But there's something that we should be very proud of as Americans and. Right, and as citizens of, of the shift that's happening in our armed forces, and it's something that we want to see in all our organizations where this ability to deal with our humanity, that it's expected and that it's respected. Mm -hmm. Right. That, and my, my whole point about the with the, the chains around the person is having the ability to raise the hand that I want to speak to the chaplain, I want to go to a therapist, I want to go to a course on personal development, I want to go to a course that deals with substance abuse, that these all these things are praiseworthy and supportive. Because in the end, they're aligned with our values. And so I love seeing that transformation. And, and this is a transformation, as we're talking about, that we want to see in all organizations. And this transformation starts through leadership. 
leadership is they're the people that create trust they're the people that create the culture that create the environment that's they have to they have to lead from the front on that one you know matthew as as we're talking one of the things that you know i can imagine we're very used to to using the word humanity you know the three of us in in this room <laughs> are are used to using the word humanity but it occurs to me if someone's listening to this that that's a really big mm. word and mm. it's, it's really, it can be a little bit nebulous and you're out there. Like, what does, what do we mean by humanity? I'm just wondering if we can backtrack for a second and see if we can come up with a really good working definition so that those who are listening are like, oh, that's what you mean. <laughs> How would you describe humanity? Yes. Good. good. Thank you for that. Good question. Because humanity it is, it's, it's very broad mm-hmm. and then our humanity I would, that's, and I talk about the beautiful complexities of it because it is complex, but there's also simplicity in it. it. The complexity of it is that it involves a lot of aspects of who we are as human beings. It involves our mental side, our emotional side, our intelligence, our will, right? And it involves what some people would call, well, in positive intelligence that you call the saboteurs, right? Other people will call it temptation, the voice of the, of the evil spirit. Right, or you know, like little angel, devil on your shoulders, sort of thing. Right, so it's it's a mixture of all of these things, and then it's also your talents, your skills, your personality, your character. Right, holy smokes, right? It's it's a lot of things. So this is our humanity, and I suppose when we talk about the authenticity, it's the the authenticity is it's the wholeness of our humanity to be able to deal with the, who we are as human beings, and not and who we are as human beings, and not sort of trying to because we like to divide things in. I don't know, we like to see things as either or. No, we are, the wholeness of our humanity involves so many wonderful aspects. And it's how we take all of those into account and how we develop and grow them, we build them. Again, that's sort of, <laughs> that's the best I can do right now. With I didn't really give a definition. I just explained a little bit about what, what I mean by humanity. Matthew, that was just so beautiful in terms of the realities of exploring humanity and also the ingredients of what it is. And one thing that resonates with me is Hillary and I, we do um, for our membership energy infusers, and we happen to pick out humanity as our virtue of the week. And for me, one of the things that was so settling for me was that last phrase, Hillary, I don't know if you remember, but it was, there is no they, only us. And I think that's just so symbolic to what you're saying in terms of the flow. There is no this or that. There's just this, right? There's just this unity, this us. And what is the work to create the us? And you do hit hit on that individual awareness and lead self-leadership that can expand. And I would love how do we start with how do we start with leading towards embracing the sense of humanity for ourselves and the us? Mm, thank you, Sonia. And it is hard because with and part of our culture, even just the Anglo-Saxon or American culture, is very we like dualism, right? Yeah. So I and, and we have a hard time with <laughs> all the space in between. But the reality is that where we live as human beings is all in that space in between. So the, and there's two extremes that I want to be cautious about in talking about this, like bring our humanity or our authenticity ourselves to the workplace. One one extreme is is that boundaries can be blurred, right? If if we don't differentiate between personal and the professional space, 
right? And then professionalism is going to suffer, formality suffers. This can negatively impact culture and it can negatively impact performance. And so when professional boundaries are blurred, there's this ambiguity, there can be room for an abuse of power, abuse of influence and abuse of authority, right? And the environment becomes more relaxed and, and that's messy, right? And so, but there's, there's sort of a, there's a, an interesting tendency, I think now that a lot of people kind of want that, right? You, kind of as a reaction towards, you know, towards the very rigid professional space. So they're kind of, ah, let's be relaxed. We're all buddies, we're all, well, not necessarily, right? So the professionalism is, in my view, is it's very important. Um, but the other extreme, right, that rigid extreme is where we feel like we have to wear a mask all day. Going back to the point that you were making before, Sonia. You know, and since we end up spending more time in professional spaces than in personal spaces, that mask becomes a fixture, right, in the professional space. We bring it to the personal space, as you were highlighting, right? and then we end up playing, playing this part at work, going with the flow, fulfilling expectations, which in the end... That doesn't, you know, we're, we're sort of, we're putting on a play at work, and, but that doesn't help the workplace either because there's no innovation, there's no creativity, there's no constructive criticism, and there's no vulnerability to improve, to improve relationships and communication. So ultimately, we're not being real either on that extreme. And that hurts the professional and the personal space as well. Yeah, so the third consideration which probably isn't we don't have enough time to kind of develop it but this is sort of the challenge for our listeners is, all right how do we do this is how can you know how much can i trust our people at work you know with the real me all right but this brings up an important point for me is is nowadays how we deal with personal information and how we deal with just the sacredness of the other right either as a leader or as my companions because where sadly we're very superficial and 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 um, careless in the way we deal with information about other people, and we sort of lost the ability of confidentiality and and the, and the sacredness of personal information. So that's why people, you know, can I trust? Well, because you know, I see the way they talk about other people. I see they will do the way they deal with personal information. So and so yes, and so can I trust leadership with the real me and leadership? It plays a, sac a sacred role and a sacred task of allowing for space and to treat people with the ultimate respect. When the leadership gets caught up in the emotional games, when the leader gets caught up in taking things personally, when the leader gets caught up in getting people back, right, and, you know, and the, the not taking the low road, basically, that is as a betrayal of, of what a true leader is. A leader's road is the high road. A leader's road is to keep the vision. A leader's road is to keep the direction, to keep the inspiration. If the high road is not for you and you're in a leadership role, then the leadership role probably isn't for you either. I think that's so important, Matthew, what you're saying, because I think what I'm, what I'm hearing, what's going through my mind right now as you're talking is the importance of modeling the way and then also articulating the way and the expectation and the accountability. I think as a leader, if you want to create a safe space, first of all, you have to be the safe space, but then you also have to be the caretaker of the safe space. You have to be the one who says, no, my expectation is that things that are said here stay here. This is sacred space. And there's going to be accountability and there's going to be learning and growth mm -hmm. that will happen if those things are not upheld because the only way we can work as a team and maintain this authenticity and this humanity is if everyone is in agreement. And so I think I hear you, you know, I, I think 
part of what we miss out on sometimes, Matthew, is this idea that just because you've reached a position doesn't mean that you yourself are done. You have to be intentional every single day about making sure you are creating, you are, you are in an honored sacred position of being a shepherd of sorts. Mm -hmm. Yes. Thank you. Thank you, Hillary. And with that, I, this is one little point I want to make is when you're in a position of authority and leadership, there's also certain information that maybe you don't have a right to, or you probably don't want to have, right. But you want to facilitate that my people can have access to the resources that they need. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that makes sense, but again, I can go back to the military example. And when I had some, you know, senior enlisted or officers who's, but would sometimes get offended that some a young Marine didn't want to share something with them. And I said, you have to understand that it's not because of you, your person, it's because of your position. Mm-hmm. And, so, and also because you have to hold people accountable. And so, mm-hmm. and so again, those boundaries are very clear. For, uh, I have to be very clear that people, a person in leadership role has to know that, well, if I have access to certain pieces of information, well, at some point I might have to use that in my leadership. And so, Again, but I won't. So just to know how to deal with that and to know how to offer people, because again, a, a leader says, "Yeah, I'm totally trustworthy. You know, everything's confidential with me. You can come." <laughs> but that's not always accurate, right? Because then you end up betraying when all of a sudden you have to enforce something mm-hmm. right? when someone thought that it was in confidence. But then, you know, so you you can't kind of play those both of those cards. Mm-hmm. And. So anyways, I, hopefully that helps clarify and that doesn't cloud the conversation. Oh, no. Actually, I think that's just such a mind-blowing kind of thought because I actually am now chiseling down to the to the kitchen table between parent and child and child saying, can I, I need to, like, I want to, or they're bothered and the parents really wanting to, like, learn and pressing and the child goes back and rather than saying, I want to know, tell me then it's more reflective is what is my position and maybe I am not the right person and how can I offer support and help mm-hmm. and changing that language and intention with just in our, within our families can really, and I, and I think it, what happens is to be resourceful mm-hmm. that I am a person where you can come and I can be resourceful to you. And that's part of leadership is I know, listen, I'm, I'm observing some things happening at work or within family, wherever that institution might be, and I'm, I think I might have some people or places that can help you further grow. Would you like me to share that with you? Mm-hmm. And that to me, to receive that as an employee or t- whatever, you know, whatever role, that builds trust mm-hmm. because there's no judgment. It's just help and support. Thank you. Thank you, Sonia. And at least what we've been talking about is really that authenticity, which to be very brief, I consider it a journey, right? We're on a journey to understanding ourselves. We're on a journey to owning our experiences and our growth. And to highlight what you said about positive intelligence, you know, by Dr. Shazad and what he talks about with the sage and the saboteurs and all that's part of who we are. But the real, the the authenticity in all, and that from that angle of positive intelligence, the authenticity is the sage, right? And and how how the sage shows up that you know, but. Because the sage tells the truths, the saboteurs often tell, tell lies or half-truths, right? And so who do we want to identify with as our authentic self? And some people get stuck with their saboteurs, right? Because they're coming from a place of maybe of hurt, right? Of, of scarcity, of, of overcompensation, right? And they said, this is my authentic self. And I, 
No, you're on a journey. That's, and you're going to discover that that's part of who you are, but that's not the, the totality of your authentic self. Mm. And so to tap into the sage, tap into the wisdom, tap into the abundance right, in the big picture of life. That will lead to much greater authenticity. Well, and, and you know, Matthew, I, I, here's the thing is nobody has to do it alone. Do, you know, just like the picture you showed where someone else can help get the key to unlock, you know, you are one of those people who can unlock the key or unlock the, the lock for people, help them grab the key um, themselves and, and be able to, to make that change, both for individuals and also for organizations. So as people are leaning in and trying to learn about their authenticity and their humanity and this this growth as a leader in the this ever-changing world uh, where this is so needed, how can they get a hold of you so that you can help them with this journey? Thank you, Hillary. Well, they can, they can find me on LinkedIn at Matthew Brackett on Instagram at Brackett Alliance. And the website, I know I said this a few months ago, the website will be up soon. <laughs> That's always the easier kind of place to find uh, to find more information, right? And what my offerings are. Really, I offer individual coaching, uh, also relationship coaching, individual coaching, more geared towards people in leadership roles. Um, and then a lot of education, seminars, conferences, workshops around the human element in the workplace, um, around leadership, personal leadership, and then how we lead those people, those projects entrusted to us. So beautiful. Thank you so much, uh, Matthew. Such always a pleasure to have you. We're going to have you a third time. I know we are. <laughs> Uh, thank you to all of our listeners and viewers for joining us today for this amazing episode. And please be sure to follow us on all the social media platforms. Matthew Brackett also has Instagram. We'll be putting those links um, and LinkedIn on his description area. And subscribe to your favorite podcast platforms, whether it's YouTube or if you like the audio podcast platforms, we're there too. Check out our website, thedheffect.com, for more great opportunities to nurture your decided heart. And until next time, may you have the courage to live with a decided heart. <laughs>